Hello and welcome to The Bulletin and Beyond. My name's Kimberly Price and on today's program we have Kira Gillespie and Brian Allen talking us through all the latest headlines. Kira, it's been another massive week with coronavirus headlines. We've obviously had lots of announcements, but first of all, can you talk us through the latest figures for this week? Sure. So today on Friday, Victoria recorded 43 new cases of coronavirus and nine deaths overnight, taking the state's COVID-19 death toll to 710, unfortunately. Uh, Colac recorded four new cases overnight as well, bringing cases in the Colac Otway Shire to 33, up from yesterday's 29 cases. So the Deputy Chief Medical Officer Alan Cheng said the Colac cases were part of a cluster and were all of known origins, which is really good. He said an additional case in Geelong and Bendigo each were also from a known source, meaning the state government isn't that worried about them. The 14-day daily case average, which everyone's watching really closely, is 65.3 in Metro Melbourne and 4.7 in regional Victoria, which the Premier said was really good and it meant that regional Victoria is poised to take at least a step and potentially two steps in the roadmap next week. So he said we'll have more to say about that next week as we get closer to that 14-day marker. So talk us through the rules of the roadmap that will come in from Monday at this point. Yeah, so currently Victorians are under stage three restrictions and are set to have some rules eased this Sunday at midnight, so basically Monday. And the next trigger point to going to the next step is recording a 14-day average below five cases per day, which we're at, we're at 4.7 at the moment, and going two weeks without a mystery infection. So unfortunately, there's seven mystery cases that have been recorded in regional Victoria in the past 14 days. Um, and the total number of active cases in regional Victoria rose to 74 today on Friday. But the Premier has said rural areas were doing really well and we were proof that the strategy is working. So he said, you know, don't lose hope on that. So at this stage, we understand that regional Vic will be going to step two on Monday. So what on earth is step two? So <laughs> Is that a shake-up or what? <laughs> yeah, so obviously we've gone from stages in the last kind of, you know, a little while to now this roadmap, which talks about steps. Mm -hmm. So it has been a bit confusing between um, steps and stages, but they're completely separate. So under the second step, there's not actually that many changes to the average person's day-to-day life in regional Victoria. Among the main changes will be the allowance of public outdoor meetings between five people involving just two households. Um, And people are living alone and single parents can have one nominated visitor into their home. This person cannot change throughout the second step mm-hmm. and they can't be from metropolitan Melbourne. It has to be someone in town, someone in regional Victoria. Yeah. So what is step three? So there's been a lot of discussion from the Premier this week. Um, I had a Zoom with him on Wednesday and many times he said he flagged that we might take not one step but two. So um, under the third step, we will be able to live a more social life, although many businesses will still be severely impacted. So travel restrictions within regional Victoria will be eased and reasons to leave home will be removed and larger outdoor gatherings will be allowed. So there's a bunch of changes under this um, next step. So some of the key ones include no restrictions on being able to leave home. So right now we have the four reasons, Mm -hmm. going to work, exercising, shopping for essential goods and getting care or giving care. Mm -hmm. So under step three, there'll be none of those. Great. We'll be allowed to have up to 10 people, gatherings of up to 10 people outside. 
You can have five visitors to your home, although they must be from the one household that has been selected as your household bubble. So your household bubble can't change um, under step three, um, but it doesn't include infants under 12 months. Um, Another really big one is that outdoor hospitality venues will be able to open, but with group limits of 10, as well as other density rules, which has caused a bit of chat around town about what that can kind of mean for our pubs and our restaurants and our cafes. Um, Accommodation venues can open, but with household bubble restrictions. There's things like wedding and funeral changes with specific numbers and, and things like that. Fantastic. And going back to that chatter you were just talking about with the outdoor dining areas, you did an article this week that talked to a, a few different CBD, Warrnambool CBD eateries. Um, can you tell me what some of their thoughts were? Yeah. So in light of this third step potentially being, you know, as soon as next week, um, I called around to yeah a bunch of cafes, pubs um, and restaurants to see kind of what they thought about Um, this outdoor dining limit, things like that. So a few of them had a really good idea of turning the bottom of Liebig Street into a summer-long outdoor dining area as a way to invigorate the hospitality sector. So Images Restaurant Manager Stacey Mark said more capability to have outdoor service would be really welcome. And she said that Liebig Street could operate kind of in a similar setup to the city's Winter Festival, where they kind of close off the bottom end of the street to traffic and tables are set up in the middle of the road. Um, and Warrnambool City Mayor Tony Herbert encouraged businesses to put that suggestion to council. He said it was a really cool idea, so that's good. Um, but then there's other businesses like Hotel Warrnambool, um, whose manager Steve um, Philpot said outdoor service would hinder his business. He said, I haven't got outdoor furniture, I'd have to buy that, I'd have to buy wind breaks, I'd have to buy umbrellas, like it's, you know, it's, it's all too difficult it wouldn't benefit us we'd just be spending and he said we don't know what these density limits are they're being very vague and Mm. he was really frustrated he just said I I think the local economy should be opened up for locals only um but of course you know there's obviously risk of virus we still have one case in Warrnambool I know it's um it seems like such a little Mm. amount but we have seen in Colac that one case can can lead to over 30 infections so Definitely. And going back to the the Colac cluster, can you just talk me through a little bit of the confusion that's come up there this week? Yeah. So Colac is essentially experiencing a second wave. So a gentleman who went to Melbourne um, to get some essential care, he went to a Melbourne hospital. He then got infected there. He's come back to Colac, Colac without symptoms and obviously gone about his days, spread it around to his family and um, people who worked at a number of businesses, including Buller, Colac, there's a, a kindergarten, there's a, an investment broker, there's there's a, bunch, a few different businesses where employees have become infected. There's been some confusion though, because we get our information from the chief health officer. He sends um, a media release daily. And in that, it says 17 cases are linked to Buller Dairy Foods in Colac. But the CEO, Alan Hood, um, called up and he said he only knows of seven positive cases linked to Buller. He said six employees and one household contact. He said he's not been consulted by the Department of Health and not shown where or how they've got these extra 10 people linked to his company. And he said, you know, we've been made aware that the department is reporting there are 17 active cases linked to Buller, but we have not been advised of these 10 additional cases that are being linked to us. And we can confirm that we only have seven positive cases to date. That's his quote there. 
we've contacted the department for comment and as of 3pm today we've not yet had a response but essentially it's tricky because cases that are linked to an organisation doesn't have to mean that they're you know necessarily people that are working there this it's not 17 people have got it but it could be you know the household contacts it could be that one of them went to Coles and then someone got it from Coles and therefore they're still going to link it to Buller Dairy Foods so But then it begs the question, and what um, Mr Hood was bringing up was, well, why does the reputation of my business have to be, um, why is it being used? Because there's multiple businesses that Mm. technically have it. He's like, just because we might have a little bit more at seven and others might have four, why is it being called the Buller Cluster? So, Mm. yeah, I I can certainly see from a commercial point of view um, that that would be really tough. But then you've got to think of a public health perspective. They want to be able to show the public that there's mm. there's no unknown cases. They know where they're coming from. So we'll be watching out for a response from the department. Um, they've stood by their figure of 17 so far, but said they will look further. So, yeah, more on that next week, I suppose. Brian, a few weeks ago you talked about the Terrain Harness Racing Club having a Metropolitan Class meet coming to town. Now that's happening on Saturday night. Can you tell me what the latest news for this meet is? Oh yeah, Kim, it's very exciting. It's been a a long time coming and a story I've tracked from the start uh, when the club knew that it was going to have its Metropolitan Class meet and it's something we've touched on in this podcast before and it's the... uh, yeah, it's basically bigger money. Um, there's uh, a race that has $30,000 up for grabs. Mind you, that, that $30,000 has happened because of um, various sponsors and um, there's a supporters group that's helped it um, go up from $20,000 to $30,000. And what that race has done is it's attracted one of the, well, arguably one of the best uh, paces in the world, Uh so uh, we've got Ride High. He's won 15 of his 16 starts. Um, he's Clayton Tonkin trained. Um, and this week's weekend's driver is going to be Kate Gath. And uh, Tonkin lives at Cardigan, which is near Ballarat. I've had a chat to Maddie Craven just yesterday. Maddie Craven's a trainer based at Eckland South, which is uh, close to Tarangan. Uh, he was telling me there's some American trainers saying that, yeah, Ride High is one of the best uh, in the world at the moment. Uh, Maddie saw uh, Ride High break a track record at Bendigo in August. Ride High uh, wiped 2.7 seconds off uh, the Bendigo track record at, at that particular distance. So... Maddie's hopeful, and he and he thinks this may happen. Hopefully, with the weather being all right, that uh, Ride High could break uh, Terang's uh, track record uh, over the distance, which is uh, sixteen hundred and eighty meters. And uh, the interesting part of it, as well, is uh, there's two horses that hold the current uh, track record for that distance, which is uh, one minute fifty three seconds point six, and that's. Uh, uh, I'm Sir Blake and, and Tam Mage is the other one, but I'm Sir Blake is in the race as well. So we have uh, the feature race as a, a, like a really exciting contest. Like talking, I've done a, various stories in the lead up to this event and uh, t- yeah, talking to the different trainers and uh, drivers, etc. They are you know, very excited about this, this meeting. It's not something that comes around 
every day for the Terrain Clubs. Fantastic. It definitely seems like the Terrain Harness Racing Club is, is yeah, pulling out all the stops for this, which is awesome to see. They're thrilled. They want to put in a great show. And uh, one of the things they've done is they've named that top uh, money race the Gamalite Pace, the Christians Bus Gamalite Pace. And that's to honour Gamalite, who was a uh, just an outstanding uh, horse in the 1980s, a uh, uh, pacer. So Gamalite would win two Inter-Dominion uh, pacing championships and the... Uh, that's considered the biggest or the most prestigious race in Australia and New Zealand for harness racing. So Leo O'Connor, he trained Gamalite and his son Chris, I talked to Chris this week, and Chris and Gamalite's trainer from back then, Bruce Clark, they, they got a, a photo together by Gamalite's um, memorial, which is at the entrance to the Terang track. So, uh, yeah, everyone's been generous with their time in the lead-up to the event and... Um, yeah, hopefully lots of people can tune in online. Uh, the club's offering free a free virtual sort of experience of being able to watch the, the coverage of the race. So, uh, yeah, people can't be there in person, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, but they can um, certainly tune in on online. In other news this week, Brian, your podcast, The Main Break, uh, this week spoke to Warrnambool Speedway driver Corey McCullough. Um, now, tell us a little bit about what he had to say in this episode and, and what his sort of year is looking like. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Um, so Corey's a Warrnambool driver. Corey, um, he actually won the Grand Annual Spring Car Classic in 2018, which was a, a great uh, achievement. And uh, anyway, in the podcast, he was, we covered a lot of ground, but what, one thing I really liked was um, he sort of, he talked about uh, himself as being a, a sponge of, for knowledge, like he just soaks up knowledge and um, he talked about his dad, Brian, in much the same way, like he really admires his dad and um, he like uh, was saying that his dad does much the same thing, like he's a sponge for knowledge and um yeah, he was kind of saying, like, his dad didn't have, like, a heap of, uh, let's say, like, go-kart or speedway experience um, to draw on when he was teaching, like, young Corey. Um, but, uh, you know, went back when he was a younger kid and teenager. But he said that the thing that his, his dad just kind of knew what the, the really good drivers were doing. Um, so he could, he could just sort of um, extract that from, I guess, watching others and... And that sort of thing. And it, it just reminded me, like, uh, just with my own sport and my own dad, like, I guess that that's how I felt. My dad, like, he's a very good sponge for knowledge in yeah. teaching me how to do sport. And I, I found that relatable. And I think a lot of other people probably do as well. That, like, um, it doesn't have to be sport, but, like, a skill in life where your parent may not have been an expert in it or, you know, a professional or something, but they tend to have, like, they can have this sort of incredible ability to extract knowledge or be a sponge for knowledge and, and pass that on to you. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have a chance to listen to some of his podcasts uh, now. It sounds like you've got a great relationship with your dad. Could you tell us a bit about when you first started getting into it? I was a bit of a roofhead when I was younger. I used to ride his Highway 50 around at his, uh, his own, uh, panel shop. Mm. And that's, that, I'm, I'm glad he did it now. He thought... I'm gonna I'm gonna break some bones on the motorbike. So he 
took me out of the car track and I drove a go-kart and didn't actually really like it to start with. But um, somehow, yeah, a couple of years later, got our first go-kart. I'm pretty sure it was purple. Um, uh, that's all I sort of remember. It was, it was a long time ago. Um, and then, yeah, just literally we lived out the car track. We would get there at 9 o'clock in the morning, get home at 9 o'clock at night. Like, we would have breakfast, lunch and tea there. Um, it was a really good time part of my life. Dad used to stand, and I can still remember this to the day. He used to stand on every corner, and he'd tell me, no, 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 not doing it right. This is what you need to do. Mm. And I used to get so frustrating. You know, like, he's a guy that doesn't, he's never raced go-karts, never raced motorsporting bike. <laughs> Probably done his bit of drag racing and stuff like that, but he knew he, he's. I guess I'm probably starting to turn out a bit like him. He was a bit of a sponge. He knew what the good guys were doing, um, and yeah, we just lived out there. Don't forget to subscribe to the Standard through our website for all our stories and features. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country, the Gunditjmara people, and the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. This has been a Warrnambool Standard production.